In the eighth circle of Dante's hell is the Malabolge, the evil ditches. And in the eighth evil ditch, false counselors are punished, trapped forever in flame. Dante the Pilgrim asks Virgil, his guide, about one flame in particular. Who is in the flame so riven at the tip? It could be rising from the pyre on which Eteocles was laid out with his brother. He replied, within this flame find torment Ulysses and Diomedes. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to The After Dinner Scholar. Ulysses is also known as Odysseus, who, after conquering Troy, wandered the Mediterranean Sea, trying to get home to his kingdom of Ithaca, to his father Laertes, to his beloved wife Penelope, and their son Telemachus. You can find the story in the Odyssey. In Dante's telling, once at home, Odysseus succumbed to wanderlust. Ulysses says, When I took leave of Circe, who for a year or more beguiled me, there not far from Gaeta, before Aeneas gave that name to it, not tenderness for a son, nor filial duty toward my aged father, nor the love I owed Penelope that would have made her glad, could overcome the fervor that was mine to gain experience of the world and learn about man's vices and his worth. And so I set forth upon the open ocean with but a single ship and that small band of shipmates who had not deserted me. The voyage did not end well. Death and hell took him. But does he deserve to be there? Is his sin really as great as all that? And what was his sin? Professor Adam Cooper has been teaching Dante, and I asked him, first of all, to give us an introduction to the Malabolge region of hell. Uh, Dante's hell is a descent down into the, the cold heart of evil, and it's divided, as he learns from his instructor, Virgil, according to incontinence, violence, and fraud, and at the very, very bottom of hell, betrayal of our loves. But in the in in Malabolge, uh, the sin of fraud is punished, and this is very various varieties of fraud. Um, but unlike incontinence, unlike yielding to a uh, a desire, a disordered desire, such as lust or gluttony, that in which the will gives itself over to something lower. Fraud is placed so low in hell because that which is characteristically human and highest in the human being, his capacity for reason and the expression of reason in speech is weaponized against either his own soul or the souls of others. So man is the creature with the word, Aristotle tells us, zoon echon logon. And with the word, we apprehend reality and we apprehend a good and we 
express that good in such a way that we can share it as a community. And so when you have, when what is highest in man is warped intentionally, it's a, it's a deep disfigurement of what is, what is the divine image in a human being to take one's reason and use it to destroy the soul of another person. Well, and so there are very bad people down there. And there we find Ulysses, that is Odysseus, uh, among the false counselors. Fill us in on his sin and uh, the story Ulysses tells about the sin. Virgil introducing this soul of Ulysses, who's with his comrade Diomedes in a single flickering tongue of flame. Um, Virgil tells us that uh, they conspired together uh, to play upon the pieties of the Trojans and in the form of a, a gift, uh, a wooden horse that they were encouraged to think of as an offering to the gods, they were tricked into bringing destruction and violence into their city. Um, so uh, we have here the, the scheming mind of Odysseus finding in the souls of the Trojans something actually good to play upon to their own destruction. It's, it's also wonderful that we, in, in the, a single uh, flame, the man of devices and skillful words is, is, is yoked to his silent partner, the man of action who, uh, whom he sets on fire for his plans and, and gets to cooperate with him so that we have his false counsel the capacity to get another, a bad idea, a vicious idea to uh, possess the soul of another, working both on Diomedes, who cooperates with him in a kind of anti-community, and also preys upon what is good but perhaps foolish in the souls of the Trojans. Um, that's how uh, Virgil introduces Ulysses. But when Ulysses actually speaks for himself, he gives a seemingly heroic tale that no reader of the comedy has, has not been moved by and uh, feels something flicker in their own soul in response to. And uh, the story he tells is how in his old age, he sets out on a second journey, a second uh, voyage. And the, the first voyage being the story told in the uh, Odyssey. In the Odyssey, yeah. For 10 years he travels and trying to get home. <laughs> trying, trying to get home to his Ithaca, his Penelope, his Telemachus, those realities given to him and chosen by him in which uh, his heart and spirit have 
in which he is who he is, in which his heart and his spirit have, have rest and fulfillment and fruitful, uh, fruitful life. Yeah. Okay. And now he's getting older and he's decided that he doesn't want to be around there anymore. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He gives a stirring speech to his companions, telling them that their life is, is almost over. And that though they've faced a thousand perils, they should not deny themselves the chance to know, to gain experience of the world, to learn about man's vices and his worth. You were not made to live like brutes or beasts, but to pursue virtue and knowledge. There's just a brief period of wakeful life left to us where men of great power and uh, possibility, let's take this last hour, try out our powers, see where we can go. Well, that sounds like a good thing. Certainly does, yeah. Yeah, who would, who would not be moved by it? You were not made to live like brutes or beasts, but to pursue virtue and knowledge. Well, why, then why does Dante have him with the false counselors? I mean, beyond the Trojan horse. There are few souls in the Inferno that more entrance and move Dante. And often when that, this happens, it's a sign that there's something about their sin that speaks to a temptation to which Dante himself is prone. And uh, when uh, Dante learns from Virgil that in the flame is Ulysses, it says he leans toward as if he himself is maybe catching and turning into a flame himself. He leans toward the, the leaning flame of Ulysses. And uh, he also says, I almost fell down into the, into the pit with him. Uh, so... What is wrong with Ulysses' voyage? And, and it's worth considering, too, how similar Dante's own voyage in the course of the Commedia is. Because he, too, wants to gain knowledge of, of virtue and vice in, in man. And um, the journey will test his powers in the way in which Ulysses encourages his men to test their powers. And in fact, where the ship of Ulysses setting out from Ithaca goes is to a land where no human being has gone before on the, the other side of the world where he sees a great mountain rising up to the stars. And this is the very mountain that Dante himself will approach in the Purgatorio, the mountain on which the lost paradise, man's first home in Eden, is, is preserved. So Ulysses is, is taking this path, and it's so similar to that of Dante. And Ulysses' gifts of, of language and creating 
beauty around an idea, an image of, of the good, an image of pursuing higher things. All of that is akin to Dante. So, so what, what's the problem? Amazingly, after Ulysses gives his story, neither Dante nor Virgil comment on it. So we have to look within the, the speech of the, of the shade of Ulysses himself to try and, to try and, to try and find. And there, there are a few indications um, of what might be wrong with things. We know that he's a false counselor, the kind of mind that is where it is because it lights other souls on fire for a bad idea. And uh, in his speech to his companions, Ulysses says, with this brief speech, I had my companions so ardent for the journey, I scarce could have held them back. His words are catching fire as he leaves the known world for the world of the great adventure that he and his men are taking, they pass by the pillars of Hercules, which are traditionally the thus far, the mark that says thus far and no further. Hercules has set the limit for what human virtue striving with the monsters of the world can achieve. This, this reminds us that Hercules didn't ask for his labors that, that sent him all across the world. They were imposed on him as actually a work of atonement for the, the mad destruction of his children and his wife. He went farther than any man had gone because the gods imposed a a mission of purification on himself that would also be a work for the world. And what about Ulysses' children and his wife? That in which, in his heart, which provides the motive for all of his journeys in the Odyssey that leads him past Circe, gets him free of Calypso, helps him hold on to the edge of things when there's des only desperate hope to hang on to. Well, Ulysses says, not tenderness for a son, nor filial duty to my aged father, nor the love I owed Penelope that would have made her glad, could overcome the fervor that was mine to gain experience of the world. He's a man of gifts and a man of great spirit and heart and courage and he can do amazing things with them but what he's doing is creating an end for those gifts i have these powers let me use them let me set my own end for them let me uh let me let me do as as i please and uh, at the end of his voyage, he sees this mountain, distant, dark, and dim. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what it is, where he's arrived. He doesn't know that 
It's forbidden by an angel with a flaming sword to arrive here. But as he sees it, a mountain higher than any I had ever seen, he rejoices, but joy soon turned to grief. For from that unknown land, there came a whirlwind that struck the ship head on. It spins around thrice and goes down as pleased another, he says, until the sea closed over us. It's as if all of the very best gifts that a man can have in which Ulysses possessed more than, more than you or I are worthless and bent to their own destruction if they don't find something external, higher, outside of themselves to guide them and to direct them to an end that a human being doesn't give himself and doesn't invent for himself and then impart to others, but uh, receives. And uh, early, early in this canto, Dante gives us two indications of what distinguish him and his voyage from Ulysses. Uh, he says that when he saw these bright spirits trapped in the flames, he grieved and he grieves, he grieves again remembering it. And then he says, and more than is my way, I curb my power, lest they run on where virtue fails to guide them. So that if friendly star or something better still has granted me its boon, I don't misuse the gift. From the very beginning of the Commedia, we know that Dante is on a voyage. He's been wandering astray, following his gifts to what ends he knows not. And is heaven and earth are moving to redirect his soul, to curb his powers, and to remind him of its a true good that he could never, never have possibly imagined for himself. And immediately after those lines I just read, he gives two similes for the flames that he sees in hell. And one of them takes us to the Italian countryside where a peasant on a hillside at evening sees fireflies twinkling in the valley. Seems to me that one of the things that curbs a poet and keeps his powers directed by a world that is larger and deeper than his own psyche is that native world of his experience, Italy for Dante, that Italy where he sees a shepherd looking at fireflies at night or that, that Florence in whose streets he saw as a young boy, a beautiful girl who in her very being spoke to him of the joy that man was created for, that the, this creation was meant to radiate the light of God. But the other simile is that of 
Elijah's chariot taking flight when the horses reared and rose to heaven so that as Elisha looks after it, it becomes just a single flame rising up to God. And it seems to me that here Dante says he's different from Ulysses in that he's committed to seeking the good through his Ithaca, through his Penelope, through those persons and places that being born in Florence, God gave to him. That's one thing. And the other is that he is called. He is on a mission from God to write this poem of love. Elijah is a prophet. And he did as heroic deeds as any of, as any of the classical heroes, Achilles, Ulysses himself, standing up to Ahab and uh, in contest with the prophets of Baal and drawing his sword to slaughter them because his heart was on fire with the love of God, the, the fire that, that burned in his tongue with such purity and ardor that created a fire of love in the world. And so the, these two things, it seems to me, truth to the world of one's experience, write about what you know, we tell our young writers. Seek God in the world of your human commitments and bonds, your family, your native land, your native Italy, your native Ithaca, and go far. Go farther than Ulysses ever managed to go, but do it under a calling uh, that has at its heart the love, the love of God, the love that moves the sun and the other stars. I must confess that I'm with Dante. I've heard too many men in particular spout Ulysses kind of nonsense as they've abandoned wives and families and homes and jobs for one new experience or another. Dante translator Anthony Esselin sums it up, quote, Proud, avaricious for knowledge, he abandons his legitimate ties to Ithaca. Unlike Dante, he is not exiled and thinks to gain experience, the lowest form of knowledge, of the other hemisphere all by himself. Eslin goes on and says, but that is a realm opened by the will of God and not by human intelligence, close quote. If you're not sure what to think, let me encourage you to find a modern translation of Dante's. Esselin is a good example. And read the Divine Comedy for yourself. Perhaps with the aid of our Wyoming Catholic College free distance learning class, Dante's Guide to the Spiritual Life, with Dr. Jason Baxter. Go to our website, wyomingcatholic.edu, for more information and to sign up. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.